I'm calling this podcast 9-11 Revelations, the anniversary of this terrible day in the life of New York City falls on Sunday this year, and I'm reminded of the struggle I had trying to come up with something useful to say on the Sunday following that fateful Tuesday 21 years ago. The tragedy was way bigger than my words. But a couple of simple bedrock things occurred to me Saturday night that seemed universally relevant when confronted with any stunning, disorienting event that sweeps us off our feet. Given current conditions in our nation, I thought I'd remember with you these fundamental truths. So, among the rubble in the aftermath of the Twin Towers' destruction at the tip of our island home was the language employed by commentators and politicians meant to capture the height, length, breadth, and depth of the catastrophe. But no words I heard on the news reports were adequate for the occasion. Commentators likened it to one more circle of Dante's hell, a revisited Mount St. Helens, a nuclear winter, the edge of a crater of a volcano. One said it was bigger than the Hindenburg disaster, bigger than the Titanic, and Pearl Harbor was invoked repeatedly. But at the same time, it seemed that our language had become so impoverished in this age of hyperbole Vapid popular culture had so overwhelmed our consciousness that we lacked an adequate vocabulary to express the size of our experience. It occurred to me that one of the reasons so many people showed up at church for so many worship services in the days and months following was to help fill this language void. Having no words of their own, hearing and reading no words large enough on screens and in print, many hundreds and thousands sought out those places that might have at least some words that could give expression to their anguish and battered hope. So, at Christ Church, we relied mightily on the ancient poetry of Psalms, the proclamation of prophets and the testimony of disciples to to give a voice to the groans of our souls. And it helped. I'm, I'm certain that many stepped into a church for the first time in a long time in those days and months, and found a word or two that spoke for them. Still, words can take us only so far into the depth of our experience. I was acutely aware of this as I considered what I would say and preach on the Sunday following 9-11. I imagined all the possible scenarios around the nation, all the ministers stepping into their place before expectant congregations, attempting to find words that could reach the deep places in the hearts of their anxious listeners, and recognized it was a nearly impossible task. I wondered how I could get out of my own way so that something truthful could be communicated, something authentic, something that wasn't simply cleverly disguised religious hyperbole that went down relievedly, even delightfully easy in the morning, yet failed to sate the real hunger by mid-afternoon. After brooding about all of this, I, I wrote something down on the Saturday following that now infamous Tuesday, but felt, felt really inadequate to the task. And I went to bed in a state of restless anxiety and awoke with a start around 2 a.m. with a few simple words, three short phrases in my mind. I just woke up with them. I got up and jotted them down and tore up what I had written 12 hours earlier. 
These short declarations were things we might have known at one time or thought we knew prior to the disorienting tragedy. I remember the disorientation especially, as though as though we had all been knocked unconscious, awakening to an utterly reordered world. Those of you that were in the city then will recall this as a physical memory embedded within your body, this, this disorientation. The few words given to me in my sleep were like life preservers thrown out to a struggling man. They were very simple. Although, as we often affirm at Christ Church, sometimes simple should not be equated with shallow. Instead, think of simple as foundational, bedrock, as essential to life, as the ground we walk upon, the air we breathe. So, three simple things came to mind in the middle of a restless night, each only two words long. Three simple things, three essentials of faith. I suggested folks jot them down on a slip of paper and stick them to a refrigerator door or bathroom mirror or computer screen where they could be seen every day. An essential catechism of the Christian faith, not as some esoteric system of religious hokum, but as the truest, most important things we know. The first two words I had were these. God is. Like I said, very simple. When our lives are struck, <clears throat> when our lives are struck hard by desperate crisis, our usual supports are rent asunder. Things we've taken so for granted, matters we've assigned principal importance are exposed as less significant than we thought. All of a sudden, life seems out of control, chaotic. We lose our bearings, become disoriented. That disorientation absolutely overwhelmed us in New York. 21 years ago. It was devilishly hard to concentrate, to maintain a sense of proportion and balance. Do you remember how it was if you were here? It seemed as though the world we thought we knew just a week earlier had shifted out of focus. Did it ever really exist at all? If you've ever been in a sizable earthquake, you know of an instinctual terror of the loss of the very ground under your feet. But that lasts only for a few seconds. The sigh of blessed relief when the tremors pass indicates that everything is as it once was. But, but what happens when you believe everything isn't as it once was? What then? Well, then we shift our attention to a ground that lies even deeper. The scriptures of our tradition help us here. Indeed, that's their essential purpose. They provide an ancient library of the recurring human discovery that God is that behind all things lays a fundamental order. That's why people flocked to churches back then. They needed to remember something they thought maybe they once knew. And so the scriptures were opened and people found resonance with ancient poetry like this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We have an instinct for knowing these words were forged in the crucible of great human adversity and tragedy. 
For millennia, people confronted with great crises have seen behind and beneath their experience a more fundamental order, and others who then followed learned the wisdom of the forebears, that God is. My second words were these, God loves. Something that struck me powerfully in those days was that when stripped of our everyday preoccupations, we quickly identify the importance of our relationships with one another, especially those closest relationships that give shape and meaning to our lives. Asking the congregation back then for a show of hands of those who called the people they loved in the days between Tuesday the 11th and Sunday the 16th, simply to touch base, simply to say, I love you, nearly every single hand in the packed house went up. Some of my most deeply affective moments came on that terrible Tuesday in the few minutes of conversation I had with my son and daughter, who were away at college at the time. Each conversation ended with, I love you. I love you too, Dad. These simple words spoke with a depth and eloquence in those moments that Shakespeare himself could not have improved upon. Why is this? Why is this our instinct as opposed to some other behavior? It would seem that this deep connection, this profound instinct for loving relationship is among the most elemental human characteristics. We're evidently designed for loving relationships. That we are so poor at their execution provides material for a lifetime of, you know, sermons. But in the midst of crisis, we need simply to acknowledge this truth, to see it clearly maybe for the first time in a very long time. Is it the stock portfolio, the house, career, anything else you could name that is of more primary importance? There's a famous phrase in John's Gospel that goes like this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That same son said that the primary mission in life is the sentence we have in our mosaics above the altar at Christ Church, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is the essential life energy. It is the essential verb in a meaningful life. And as our tradition instructs, this is no sentimental matter. This holy love is acquainted with grief and sorrow. It knows desperation and loss. Didn't Jesus cry out on a cross in lonely despair, seemingly abandoned by his friends, and for a moment, even by God himself? And yet, this led to my last two words. God saves. In the face of evident disaster, God brings victory. Do you remember that every Sunday is in fact a mini-resurrection celebration? Do you know that We're doing something every Sunday that flies in the face of what all terrorists intend. Their intention is to strip us of a confident hope. That's what the power of hate wants to accomplish. Hate is a destroyer. Love builds up. Hate breeds on fear. Love feeds on hope. If we have even a smidgen of hope, we have been touched by grace. Hope is the engine of God's salvation. Hope is the fruitful acknowledgement that God is and that God loves. Hope instructs that love is stronger even than death itself. That's the deep truth at the heart of authentic Christian faith. Hope led Paul to ask, 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is God's salvation, an eternal loving embrace that cannot be severed. There are large questions we can never adequately answer in this life. Chief among them is why suffering and evil exist in our world. But surprisingly, thankfully, smack in the middle of life's disorienting circumstances, three life preservers are discovered right at hand. God is. God loves. God saves.